Hi, I'm Nick, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm really grateful to be here at the Hospital Roundup, and I'm glad to be here sober at the Hospital Roundup. Uh, this is a well-reputable uh, roundup. I've never heard one bad word about it. That's when I was that's when I was very excited when they asked me to come speak, and I'd like to thank the committee for that invitation. Uh, it was 18 months ago when I got the invitation. I was thinking, God, 18 months. I said, I hope the talk to be heard is not going to be the one they hear today because a lot happens in 18 months, which is a good thing. And uh, the, the hospitality has been great. I mean, they've treated us just top class, and uh, I really am grateful for that. I also want to thank everybody for getting up and coming this morning. I had a guy, Clint R., who passed away, told me one time that attendance at conferences and roundups is service work because if you people didn't show up, there'd be no work to do. So thanks again for coming to hear me speak, and thanks for just coming, period. Uh, it's a good thing to be in the middle of sobriety by coming to these conferences and roundups. Uh, I'm, a, I'm Nick, the speaker, uh, but I'm also a few other things at this. Uh, I'm the guy who's taking Karen's place, and I'm also, and I'm also the token redneck speaker. So, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I was born in Tennessee, and uh, I grew up in the Delta in Mississippi, went to high school in Lower Alabama, and lived in Georgia. So I'm a qualified redneck. No, no. Uh, I'm Alcoholics Anonymous is. Uh, I have a passionate love affair with this program. One that I get very emotional about because it is the absolute center of my life. Uh, it is my life. Unequivocally the best thing that ever happened to me. <clears throat> and uh, my sponsor says that I'm a very unique person. I'm the only person he's ever met who worked the promises backwards in his life. Cause I, <laughs> I t intuitively baffle situations I used to handle. <laughs> and... Uh, and he also tells me that uh, that my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I shouldn't go in there alone. And uh, I'm going to exit that up, joke. It didn't work in a couple of years. <laughs> uh, the story you're going to hear today is a miracle. Uh, where I was nine years ago, you cannot get where I am today. It's an absolute miracle. And uh, the great thing is my miracle is not unique. And uh, that's the real great thing. That when I go to hear people speak, share meetings, I find other people who've had the same thing happen to them. But I am entirely grateful. I uh, got sober in Mobile, Alabama in uh, 1989, March 31st. So 52 days shy of nine years of sobriety. I got sober when I... Uh, I got sober 21 days after my 17th birthday. And I didn't know your life would get so screwed up by the time you're 17, <laughs> but it did. And that's the miracle of this program. Uh, the thing that I'm grateful for is that they allowed a 17-year-old to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. They didn't push me away. They didn't say, you're too young. There's no way you can't have a problem. When I came, they related. They're like, been there. Come on in, and we'll help you. And I'm entirely grateful for that. And the story I'm going to tell you today is about... A 16 and a half year old child who came to Alcoholics Anonymous and a 25 year old man that stands in front of you today because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know if Dr. Bob and Bill 
envisioned that this program could mature a child into a man, but I'm here to tell you that it can't. The reason I couldn't be here Thursday night is because I was on a, sitting on a committee next to the community representative for Nations Bank, next to the uh, community service representative for Kroger, three of us as equals on one committee, sitting there working with the, with executives. And I'm just, and I was working, working, working diligently, and I was thinking, how in the world could I have gotten here from where I was nine years ago? How can this happen? And I was, they made a joke last night because the first, um, Huntsville Roundup was at a FOP, Fraternal Order of Police. And uh, I called my sponsor on Thursday night when I was coming to pick him up. The meeting got over about 7. And I called him and I said, I'm calling you from Fraternal Order of Police. Do you believe this? <laughs> uh, things definitely change. Uh, it's also a real big honor to be speaking in the state of Alabama. Uh, even though Huntsville was a long way from Mobile, I was thinking about it. I've never spoken in the state of Alabama. And it was a state I got sober. I left uh, Mobile and I was three months sober. Area 1 is a great area, and uh, I'm glad to be here. It's an honor to speak in this state. <clears throat> I, I was born in uh, Memphis. My parents were divorced when I was five years old, and uh, for a lot of long years, I never thought that that re- divorce had anything to play into my, the way I was so angry my whole life. But people said that I was a real even person. I had a chip on both shoulders. <laughs> uh, I, I, I spent a lot of my childhood feeling apart from and never a part of, always feeling uncomfortable and never comfortable in my own skin. Uh, and alcohol and drugs changed that. Um, they actually changed, they, they, they made me feel a part of. Uh, I, I grew up in a, uh, in a, my mom moved to Tupelo, Mississippi, and she decided she was going to go back to college because we weren't getting anywhere in life. We were, we were very poor. And so we moved into a housing project and, uh, right outside, uh, um, white trash kind of housing project and that's where I grew up through grammar school and um, I saw all kind of atrocities people beating people up on a regular basis that was my sense of normalcy was the, this, the nonsense that happens in those type environments and uh, that affected my esteem for years uh, my mom eventually got her education and moved out but I still felt like that kid that because the kids always made fun of you da 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 and you never had and you never had this never had that I ended up having it, but that's not the way I felt about myself. And uh, that's been a lot of work through Alcoholics Anonymous, is uh, is working on that esteem. My sponsor told me it was like a big chocolate chip cookie. You can't eat it all at once. Take one small bite and just keep working and keep working and keep working. And, and, and I have. And I'm grateful for that. That's one step in my maturation as, as a, to, a, uh, to manhood through this program. And I don't say that, but I say that because... I haven't had a whole lot of parental structure ever in my life. You guys, this program, it, it, it was there for me. I mean, every step of the way, uh, absolutely every step of the way, the, the people in Alcoholics Anonymous, people that are in these rooms today were there for me. When I was 17 years old, I came in the program. They just welcomed me with open arms. It was the first time I ever felt accepted in my life Went through, through you people. And then uh, other stuff that I'll get into later about how the program has been for me. Uh, to tell you how that I ended up in the program by the time I was 17, I started uh, experimenting with, drug, uh, with alcohol when I was about 8 or 9. Uh, really started uh, drinking when I was about 12 or 13 years old. 
and just drinking and drinking and experimenting. Uh, the, uh, there's a story in the big book that, that Bill talks about not heeding that warning. Uh, first time I, I knew I was an alcoholic, first time I ever drank, in retrospect, because I went to my brother's uh, senior keg party, and they had a huge keg party, and, and I got invited to go, and I drank and drank and drank, and then I started funneling out of the keg, and... Um, and I, I really, uh, I blacked out, and I was at home by 10 o'clock. They threw me in the door. I was sick. And I mean, really sick. Um, I don't remember much. I mean, my mom had to take care of me. She thinking about taking me to the emergency room. And, and, uh, but I woke up the next morning, and I was in kind of, all kinds of trouble. Uh, with my dad, my mom, my, my brother wasn't too pleased with me. Um, uh, but I woke up the next morning with the, with the internal uh, feeling of, man, that was great. Can I do that again? <laughs> I mean, that longing, that God, that experience was awesome. I mean, I was coming out the doors. My greatest deficit, my greatest deficit as a human ended up being probably my best asset. The fact that when I drank, I was totally unmanageable. And that unmanageability allowed me to get to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 17 years old. Because I had no manageable parts of it. Um, I drank and drank. Just to show you how the disease progressed. In my 10th grade year, I was in uh, advanced English, I mean advanced history. And, uh, and I was, uh, had a, was holding a job, playing on the basketball team, and still being able to drink nearly seven days a week. And, uh, because of the way that the schedule worked, I'd get off basketball practice about 6. My mom worked 3 to 11. I'd go over to my friend's house, and we'd do whatever we do till about 10 or 11. Then I'd go home. By the time my 11th grade year came, the disease had progressed to an extent that I'd quit going to high school. I'd dropped out. I just would stop showing up. and moved out of my mom's house. Uh, I didn't have a job. They wouldn't let me play basketball, believe it or not. And, uh, and, uh, the disease had progressed where uh, my bottom was uh, a four-block area and the, the west, uh, west end of Mobile, Alabama. Uh, it was the uh, white trash ghetto area of Mobile. Uh, it's funny how I was in the ghetto, got out, ended back in there. So you always come back where you started from, it seemed like. I was back in the midst of it. And it was about a block, four-block area, and I spent my entirety, I spent my whole life in that four-block area. Uh, chasing down a drink, chasing down a drug, selling a drink, selling a drug. And just in that one four-block area, my disease was absolutely running rampant. And, uh, I mean, I had to just become totally lost, just absolutely lost. And I hit my bottom. I moved in. I was living with uh, these two ladies of loose moral character, you could say. <laughs> uh, but I guess we were all of loose moral character. Um I had moved in with these two girls. Uh, one of them was absolutely crazy. I mean, legitimately crazy. She was a bipolar, bulimic, and uh, she was always borderline. She was always cutting herself, trying to kill herself two or three times a week. Um, just, we were all strung out. And, I mean, this girl, she was really the, um, the one who held our family together. <laughs> She was the strength of the outfit. Yeah. 
And uh, the other girl was a um, prostitute, and she was, I was kind of like her boyfriend. I was 16 and a half years old. This is what I was telling you about my deficit. By the time I, by the time I was 16 and a half, I had blown it out. I was gone. Uh, and I was living with this prostitute, and what she would do is she'd go out and do her job, and then she'd come back and she'd bring all the cash, just tons of cash. And, and I was just there for the both of them, just, I don't know. That was my whole game. I was a big confidence man. Uh, I found people who had low self-esteem, people that needed to be needed. I told them that I liked them, told them what they, how great they were, and so they'd give me all their stuff. Um, that was my whole gig. Um, and I did it. And I was good at it. And I was good at it, good at it, good at it. But you know how that, I was good at it, and then it got a little, I started having to go to a little lesser crowd to get what I needed, and then a little lesser crowd to get what I needed. And um, I ended up living in a one-bedroom apartment in this four-block area with a crazy person and a prostitute and me. And uh, I weighed 135 pounds. I had bags under both my eyes. Uh, didn't get out of bed till most days till noon. And that was the main, that was one of the, there was two reasons I went to treatment. Uh, one was because every morning I got up, I had this huge knot in my stomach for guilt, shame, and remorse. Whether I had done anything the night before to have guilt, shame, or remorse about every day I got up. And it hurt. And I was so guilty. And Keith Lewis talks about that um, there's a line. That somewhere in life we would get spiritual values that, that, um, that, that God won't let us cross over. The people that come into recovery. I absolutely believe that. Because in the back of my mind, I knew my life. I wasn't intended to live life like this. How did I get so messed up? How did life end up like this? I did not I did not intend to end up here. But yet I'm here and I don't know how to get out. I would have people coming over, younger kids, kids my age, 20 years old, people that weren't hooked. I was telling them, man, don't get on this stuff. I mean, I was trying to push them away in a lot of respects because I was trapped. But I, I was trapped and there was no way out and I knew there was no way out. And about a month before I got sober, um, I said, I guess this is the way I'm going to be the rest of my life. So I was I was definitely in that trap. And uh, I just wanted that knot to go away. And the only thing that took the knot away was a drink. And then when I started drinking, the craving started. Started to cycle all over again. And, uh, yeah. I like the, uh, there's a thing about there's two axioms in the world, uh, two two spectrums of love. On one axiom, uh, there's uh, emotional love. And the opposite of emotional love is when I meet a girl, I like a girl, I fall, you know, I start to like her or whatever. The opposite of emotional love is hate. I hate her. She did me wrong. That's horrid. And on the other axiom, it runs this way. is a spiritual love. Uh, spiritual love is the sense that I feel for somebody in my group. He might be an asshole, a jerk, or whatever. I don't like him. But if he wants to drink, I'm going to be absolutely be there for him. There's absolutely no question in my mind I'm going to be there for him. That sense of community, spiritual love, and the opposite of spiritual love is apathy. And that's where I was. I was absolutely, totally disconnected. I was totally apathetic and indifferent about every aspect of the world. I did not care about me. I did not care about you. I did not care what happened to me. I did not care what happened to you. I was totally apathetic to the point, and this is embarrassing for me to say, but I really want to bring this out, how apathetic I was. I did not. I was staying in the house. I didn't leave the house for three or four or five days. And one of them came over to me. She said, you hadn't changed your underwear in eight days. I've been counting. My underwear were, she had been counting, I hadn't. Um, I mean, my underwear were almost as black as his hat right there. 
And, uh, but the thing is, I, I was almost 17 then. At, at, by that age, the way my addiction had run rampant and my alcoholism had run rampant, I did not care that I had not changed my, my underwear in eight days. I really did not care. That's how apathetic I was. And, uh, that's a horrible place to be. But you know what? I can go back there uh, in a heartbeat. That's where alcoholism takes people. To that uh, point of total spiritual disconnectedness. Uh, that total period, that total place of apathy where I don't care. And I don't want to go back there. And that's why I try to stay involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. I say people like you. Uh, because I remember how hard it was. I remember how hard it was. I remember when I got out of treatment. I could not figure out, I could not visualize, I could not understand how I was going to make it one day without a drink. I really didn't. And right here I'd get nervous and I'd start shaking and I'd start thinking and my hands would get like this and I'd think, how can I not drink? I mean, how, how can I get through this without taking this edge off somehow? Or how can I deal with the fact that I've absolutely screwed up every aspect of my life and disappointed everybody I know without taking a drink? And that's where you people were there for me. And the way I got the treatment was, uh, the girl I was living with wasn't giving me enough attention. Uh, she just, I mean, she was busy doing her own stuff and I got mad and somebody told me about treatment that I went to treatment that I could possibly get my high school credits. And that was my driving force. All my alcoholic friends, all the people that I knew had graduated high school and I was the only one whose disease would, I couldn't even get out, I couldn't get out of the 11th grade with my disease. And so that was my driving force. Uh, so she wasn't giving me enough attention. Uh, so I said, I gotta go tell my, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I gotta need help. Which was just a play to get her attention. She said, I can't deal with this. I said, I'm gonna call your mom. So I said, hell yeah. I hadn't talked to my mom. My mom's mad at me. I'm gonna get double attention. <laughs> and so, uh, three hours later, I was in a treatment center. And I thought it was great. All these people talking to me and I was all messed up when I got there. But three days later, when I had all the attention I wanted, they wouldn't let me out. <laughs> and uh, that was an absolute blessing in my life. I was uh, uh, I went to treatment three days uh, there. I wanted out so bad, I pitched a big fit, and they wouldn't let me out. And uh, that's when things started turning around for me. Um, this is the great thing about the alcoholic mind that trips me out um, is... The second, the millisecond that I knew that I had screwed that con up, that it didn't work out like I, the millisecond, uh, that I realized I had messed that confidence game up. I scanned around and said, okay, what I gotta do now to get what I want? What's the next thing I gotta do to get out of this place? I mean, that second, boom. So I started telling them, oh yeah, I got a problem and I need meetings and da 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 da. <laughs> and, uh, so I, uh, but ten days into it, ten days into it, I was coming off of the stuff, and um, I pitched a big old fit, and they got real, and they 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 separated me from the milieu, from the kids, or the kids, and they put, set me in my room, and that was the turning point. I had ten days sober, and I had cravings, like physical cravings, and it was where I looked at that first step for the first time that I actually was powerless. Um, the fact that I wasn't even seventeen years old. Yeah, and the disease, the addiction, and the alcoholism had got me to the point where 
I was in my room craving, uh, going crazy. And I said, maybe these people are right. And this is a very big point I like to make every time I talk. Is the first time I ever went to an AA meeting, first time I ever went to an AA meeting, December 6, 1988. Uh, there was a hundred people there. And they all smiled. And they all came up to me. I mean, maybe they all didn't smile, but it sure seemed like it to me. But I'm telling you, they were happy. You know what I'm saying? They were happy. And they came to me, and and they said, we're glad you're here. And it had been so long since anybody told me that I was, they were glad to see me. Everybody was telling me, oh, shit, here he comes. Uh, you know, and they told me to keep coming back. First time anybody told me to come back anywhere in ages. They were saying, don't come back here. We don't ever want to talk to you again. That's what I had constantly been hearing. And you people were smiling and telling me to come back. I didn't know what I had to do. I had no idea that I was going to have to abstain. But I knew I was coming back to this Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever it was. And that's why I think that it's so important that we need to greet those newcomers. We need to smile at the newcomers. Even if I'm having a bad day, if I'm not having my bosses bugging me, I still need to take that time to go up, shake somebody's hand, say, I'm glad to see you. Because that that's what kept, brought me back. That's what helped me turn that first step. Let me look at the powerlessness because maybe you people were right. Because you people simply smiled. I don't remember one word that was said at that meeting. Not one word. Don't know what the topic was. Didn't know what recovery was. And I sure didn't know what the steps were. But I knew that you people were kind and considerate. And you smiled a lot. And you looked happy. The people, the people, newcomers see that, man. That's what they pay attention to. That's what they pay attention to. And, uh, so it's very important for us to do that. Uh, me to do that. And so I, uh, started going to meetings and I started working the steps and, uh, well, just piddling around with the whole thing, just showing up. And, uh, but my deal was I still never part, felt a part of. I never felt connected. And the reason for that was that I wasn't working the steps. Uh, my brother, my brother's here, and I appreciate him coming. My brother, he got, uh, he's got almost 18 months sobriety. It's a miracle. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he he's going through what I was going through. I call him up, and he says. School's kicking my ass, and I'm having to work every day. And I just chuckle because what I found out is that uh, that that the easier, softer way is that there is no easier, softer way. And let me tell you how long it took me to learn that lesson. Yeah, uh, because I tried to work this program every which way there was, except the way you guys told me to do it. For the first two years, I did. Uh, I came around. I didn't really have a sponsor. I was coming to meetings, and you know. And there was one point where I, I knew I had it. I had it. I had God, and I had me, and I didn't need you people. And I was going to one meeting a month, whether I needed it or not. And I was absolutely miserable. It was about 18 months of sobriety. And what I found out from that, what retrospect I found out is, God works through you people. If I'm not with you people, then I can't get with God. I can't get connected. So I've got to have you people. That's why I've got to have meetings. And I've got to have you people in my life. I cannot go without my connection to Alcoholics Anonymous because you are my direct link with God. 
and God works through all you people, and that's why I've got to have it. And uh, to move the story up a bit is uh, the fact that I came in, started working. I got a sponsor, and I started working the steps, and and uh, got to the third step and stalled out. And then I had uh, uh, I had a lot of problems. And uh, there's a great thing that I'm going to read to you now that uh, talks about kind of what happened to me. Yes, it says. Uh, it's on page 47, on 48. Besides a seemingly inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasonable prejudice. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. <laughs> this sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was the great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Uh, that's the way I have to approach everything in my life, is I have to get beat up into a stage of reasonableness. And that's what happened with me with the fourth step. Um, I was making moves in my life. I was starting to finally feel apart of and start to get out and get connected but I got to that fourth step I, I got beat into reason but I was in a crisis that came down it was real bad and I got my heart broke and I knew and all this stuff and I knew at that one moment if I did not work my fourth step I was going to get drunk and if I did work my fourth step I was going to stay sober and it, it persuaded me to work my fourth step and that was great uh I was that 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 whole step is so un, underestimated in my in my opinion because it's such an education on self. Um, after I worked that step, I knew what my motivations were. I knew why I had always wanted to control everything and that I needed to control everything and that I had so many fears that I didn't know I had. It allowed me such a knowledge of why I did what I did, why who I was as a person. Now that's the great thing about Alcoholics Anonymous as maturating me into a man that I was talking to, mature me into a man, is that today, generally, most of the time, I know what my motivations are. I know what's going on inside of me. That's the gift of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now where I get action, awareness plus action equals change. Where I get in trouble is where I'm aware and don't take the action. Then I'm in trouble. <laughs> but the ignorance is not there anymore. The ignorance is not there anymore. Uh, it's the truth. Uh, and I didn't get this from nobody else or this group or that therapist or that cable television. I got it from Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and another great miracle in my life, how I talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, took a 16-and-a-half-year-old child and turned him into a 25-year-old man, was the fact that I had about two, two-and-a-half years of sobriety, had a dead-end job, going nowhere. But it was you people in Alcoholics Anonymous who... Prided me, prided me, prided me. I had a sponsor that. Now, I'm a, not any kind of parental figure, but I had a sponsor. And he says, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? And I said, you know, and I was still very grandiose, uh, uh, you know, which is fine. I mean, we certainly don't get, um, we certainly don't get, well, that makes a good point. Let me just tell you this that brings it up, is this. One thing, good speakers are just that, good speakers. This is not a pedestal. This is nothing but a podium. 
and uh, walk a week in my shoes, you're going to see imperfection. Uh, uh, so I certainly don't want to give that misconception um, by any stretch, uh, because but I just want to get that out. <laughs> because uh, I don't want anybody to think that, I, that you know, because I can get up here and tell you how I can make a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. My sponsor will testify to that. Um, so, this brow beam, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? And I said, my ship's going to come in. And I really thought it was. I really honestly did think that somehow, some way, had no idea that somehow my ship was going to come in. And uh, I really believed it. I mean, sincerely believed it. And uh, and this is a great adage I learned it again in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't learn it anywhere else in Alcoholics Anonymous. Is that a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And I've gotten so much wisdom from being able to learn from other people in this program and the mistakes they've made. And my sponsor was compassionate and cared enough about me as a human being to tell me, which is a miracle in itself, because he's an alcoholic, totally. And, uh, and, uh, said, uh, and he said to me, look, I'm 37 years old. When I was your age, I thought my ship was going to come in. I have no education. I have to do piddly jobs. I live in a rented trailer. He said, you have all the dreams. And he made me list all my dreams down that I wanted to be. And he says, okay, after you get your education, you can chase every one of these dreams, but you've got to take care of the middle. Well, that was good. But, I mean, he stayed on me, browbeat me, uh, time after time. After eight months, just to get him off my back, I enrolled in college. Just to get him off my back. And that's how, that's how I'll call it anonymous is taking care of me. I mean, you guys have really, if I would have never found this program, I wouldn't be sober. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything. That's why I just absolutely think that this program is the, it's, it's the greatest. It might be the greatest uh, advancement in society in, in the 20th century. It might be. I mean, it is for me. Hell, I wouldn't have nothing. So I started the college just because he browbeat me to go to college. And then um, 18 months ago, I graduated, and I'm a registered nurse. And uh, and that's been a you know and that's been a real miracle is uh, is because when I was working my way through college I worked at this uh, place where I work now and I worked my way through there um, through college as an assistant or whatever as a tech or uh, and so I've been invo- involved in that system for a long time and through the through alcoholics and I be a respectable person have some morals, have some ethics. And again, I stress that I learned that here. I was an animal when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. An animal. I, I mean, I had no life skills whatsoever when I came here. And I learned all of that in Alcoholics Anonymous. And in nine short years, it's been able to make me be a respectable person. Not only a respectable person in Alcoholics Anonymous, but a respected man in my community. And that's a gift. And uh, um, I took a job there and, and was working my way up. And then as soon as I became had my licensure, 
they put me right into a uh, middle management position. From that, I've taken on a new title, and now I do, um, I mean, I work in direct relations with the COO of the corporation and uh, the administrator, and I mean, just excelled responsibilities. And uh, it's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I mean, but with responsibility comes a lot of headaches too. So, I mean, that might not, that's not as great as a gift as you think sometimes. Uh, but uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm not, but I'm, I mean, you know, I'm just grateful, and uh, I, I, uh, I get to work with the, with a, I work somewhat directly with disadvantaged youth. Uh, I'm the, uh, and uh, and then I also do some public relations for them. But I get to work with kids who have been where I've been, and that's real neat for me. Um, I, I like what the big book says about that. It says, uh, it says, showing others who suffer how we were given, <coughs> excuse me, showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hand, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. <laughs> and that's the truth. Uh, nothing gets a kid's attention faster than saying, been there. Can't tell me I ain't been there, I've been there. And, and that's been one of my greatest things uh, being since I was in Huntsville Roundup is I got to spend a day with some young men in Alcoholics Anonymous yesterday and got to share with a couple guys um, about how you, all you can do is take it one day at a time. You're doing the absolute most you can do to stay sober today. And that if you keep doing that, putting one day together, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to work out. You don't have to figure it all out today. Just stay sober today. Stay involved and stay around the meetings, and everything's going to be all right. And again, that comes from retrospect. You know, um, when I was a year sober, a year and a half sober, everything was a crisis because I had no life skills. But the uh, longer you stay sober, the more skills you develop, the more retrospect you have to say, how did we handle this the last time? The uh, more you develop your faith that everything's going to work out, the more the intuitiveness comes in. So, uh, just stay sober and you'll get all that. You know what I'm saying? There's no big secret to it. Uh, work the steps. Uh, the steps are really the key. They really are the key. This disease is about a spiritual disconnectedness, my inability to connect with other human beings. And one by one, the steps knock down that piece of the wall, and they knock down that piece of the wall, and they knock down that piece of the wall, and boom, eventually I walk through and I feel comfortable with you, and I feel comfortable with me. And I was up in Denver at the Ikipa this year, uh, up in the Estes Park, Colorado. And uh, the first year I ever went to that conference, it was in Cleveland. There was about 1,600, 1,800 people there. And they're all in this one room. And at that one go one moment, you know that everybody in that room is uh, compassionately loves the other person. And Chuck C. talks about that... Um, if we could see the power of Alcoholics Anonymous with blindness. Well, you get a glimpse in that room. I mean, it's so powerful. You almost... The first year I was there, I was crying. And I was thinking, I'm not worthy of this. I cannot stand this. This is good for you people, but it's not good for me. I, I can't take it. But things have changed. And if you stay sober, things will change. Because I go back every year now and I just bask in it and say, You deserve this. And I deserve this. And we deserve to be loved because if you don't drink and you're an alcoholic, it's a miracle. And you deserve 
good things that happen to you. You deserve to be loved and you deserve to develop self-respect. But that comes through the big secret. You ready for the big secret of Alcoholics Anonymous? All right, everybody listen up. It's action. And I can talk all day and give you, I'm good at rhetoric. And that's part of my job is a lot of rhetoric at work. But it gets you absolutely nowhere. Absolutely nowhere if you don't take the action. My life did not improve one iota. And I can tell you, until I worked the fourth and fifth step, sixth and seventh, looked at my character defects, started working on my ninth step, my amends, and started developing a conscious contact on a daily basis. Uh, if you if you're waiting to get sober without working steps, you're in big trouble. And if you're waiting on your ship to come in, you're in big trouble. The easier, softer way is that there is no easier, softer way. It's all about action. Uh, I didn't get. I have a all the material success that I've had. It's amazing. You can't get from where I was to where I'm at. Well, but that sense that I have in Estes Park this year was absolutely incredible. I walked from one end of that place over to the other, and I felt so comfortable with me and who I was. It was incredible. And it was all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, a comfortableness. I very seldom slow down from here down, you know. Very seldom. And uh, that comes through working steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Your life can absolutely change. I mean, absolutely change. The person I was, the animal I was that came into Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 16 and a half, there's not one iota left of that existence except that disease that lurks inside of me. And I have to remedy that through Alcoholics Anonymous. And... uh, let me just tell you about some of the things that have happened for young people that think that if they come in here and they think that if they drink, their life is over. Uh, I lived in this little four-block area uh, that I never got out of. And once I got, and I thought once I got sober, that's it, boring, no existence, no life. I lived in this four-block area and went nowhere. I mean, outside of Mobile, my mind did not. I mean, it wasn't so much that my body never got out. My mind never saw outside this four-block area. And that's horror. That's just a shame. That's what the disease does to you. It limits you to a capacity that's four blocks. And uh, since then, I've been able... I've traveled... My goal is to go to all 50 states by the time I'm 30. And I've, I've done 29, including Alaska and Hawaii. And uh, I've been to, to China. I went to meetings in China. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, meetings are everywhere. And what's great about it is that well, they don't allow the Chinese to go to meetings. I mean, the government does, but there's a lot of expatriates there. And I went to one meeting, and uh, it was all Canadians. And I said, I should have come a long way to go to my first Canadian AA meeting. <laughs> and... Uh, but th- it's true. I mean, I gave it, I gave it lip service that AA is everywhere. But it is everywhere, believe it or not. I went all the way across the North Pacific, and something about you and God get disconnected on that route or something. I got over there, I was absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. I mean, crazy. And I was supposed to have, be having this great time, and I wasn't having this great time. And all the expectations I put on myself, and I couldn't find a meeting, and and I and I, I got my, my dad's secretary. I, I, 
I said, there's no way in hell that AA is in the big book. But, I mean, no, that's not in the phone book, but I'm going to try anyway. So I'm trying to look it up, and I give it to her. And she misinterprets what I say, and she starts giving me numbers to wholesale liquor stores. <laughs> and uh, I, start, I, tell, I thought it was appropriate that it was wholesale. <laughs> and, uh, but I finally got in touch with them. And I told the lady, she said, we're not having a meeting today, but you sound like you're not doing good. <laughs> she said, I'll come pick you up. And she came and picked me up, and we went and had a meeting. We had a formal meeting, two people in Beijing. And I was like, this program was unbelievable. I mean, I'm in Beijing, China, and I'm losing my mind, and I'm with somebody who has enough compassion to come talk to me and help me. And I couldn't get out of a four-block area of the white trash ghetto of Mobile, Alabama. How do you get here? It's unbelievable. Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I had a great trip. I was in Maui, Hawaii with a bunch of people in AA and just looking around. And I was just like, man, the bus doesn't run this route. I couldn't get, I could not get off Hillcrest Road. I couldn't get off Hillcrest Road, you know. And here, what am I doing in Maui? Uh, this year, I mean, this is sober. I thought when my life was over when I got sober, it had just begun. I, there's more stuff to do than there's hours in the day today because of Alcoholics Anonymous. In May, I took a 10-day trip to Alaska by myself, just flew in Anchorage, rented a car, went all over, ice climbed on a glacier, uh, went, uh, went fishing out in the uh, Gulf of Alaska, halibut fishing, and uh and it was great because people say, you know, and, and I went to, and I've been, to, I went to meetings while I was there with a lot of Native Americans, which was, was neat. And, uh, but one thing I could tell them, which was awesome, was I'm not here trying to find myself because I know who I am because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm not here trying to find God because I know who God is because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just here to fish and ice climb, you know, and have a good time. <laughs> That's all because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, I mean, I can't tell you that if you're new, please come back to this program. Because if you have this disease, unfortunately, and it is unfortunate, you have it. And it ain't going nowhere. And it's only going to get worse. And I hate that. That's the thing I hate most about this disease. When I see people's lives, not, and they just can't get it. But if you keep coming back and you keep hanging around, you'll find an, an existence that you just couldn't believe you could have. Uh, and I, I, don't, I can't say any more than that, except that, again, I tell you, nine years ago, I was exposed to this thing. And nine years later, you, you, there's no way that I could uh, tell you what this program means to me. I could just keep coming back and keep trying to help other people and and uh, keep coming to roundups and keep telling my sponsor and keep living life and uh, try to be that big book for other people. Uh, it's a very simple program, and but you got to take action, 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 action. And if you do, there are rewards. So uh, I'm just glad to be here and be sober again. And uh, uh, 
I have a passionate love affair with Alcoholics Anonymous and look forward to talking with you guys the rest of today. And I uh, hope to see you. If you're ever in Atlanta, look me up. Thanks.